Well, fellas, Max Verstappen wrapped up his second consecutive Formula One World Championship at the Japanese Grand Prix at Suzuka. And I think to celebrate, we should all go out for a nice, delicious plate of katsu curry. How does that sound? Sounds good, but aren't we a bit tight against the, uh, you know, cap? Uh, Don't worry about it. I'll just call the bank later and tell them it was a minor overspend. Welcome back to Motorsport 101. Don't you just wish all bank overdrafts worked that way? It was just a little bit off the top, manager. I promise. This was not a problem. (laughs) Welcome to episode 403 of Motorsport 101. I am your friendly neighborhood host, Dre Harrison. And uh, welcome to the nearest we will ever get to full-on Red Bull propaganda on this show. Because everything, and I do mean everything, on this show this week most certainly relates to uh, <laughs> to Red Bull Racing in some capacity. It, it's going to be a lot to get through. Um, just wanted to say as well, before we get into the nitty-gritty, this is the first time I've really sat down for a recording session since episode 400 went up on The Doctor. I just want to say a massive thank you to everyone who sent in positive feedback regarding that. That was a really, really fun episode to edit. Much, much very kind if you come. It's one of my most listened to shows of the year, funnily enough, as well. So much, much appreciated. Thanks to everyone that listened to that. It's available on our feed, episode 400. It's a it's a feature-length, Marvel-length edition, <laughs> about two and a half hours long, which is almost a Marvel movie these days. But do check that out if you haven't already. And before we get into the real nitty-gritty, I'm going to introduce the show and our co-hosts. First and foremost, we got we got the whole gang back together. We had to for such a special occasion. First up, Cam Buckley. Hello, sir. Hello, everyone. Uh, I'm just here enjoying this uh, this wonderful sandwich provided by Red Bull Racing. Yeah, they got me, they got me the extra dip. Um, they got me a number nine and a number nine large. How about that? Downside is it cost eight hundred thousand dollars for the extra dip. Oh God. <laughs> Mm, no, that's going to come up in the overdraft. And we also got another co-host, RJ O'Connell. Hello, sir. Back home again from Indiana, and it seems that I can see I had a lot to catch up to, but uh, good weekend. Uh, one thing I noticed about Indianapolis, and this has been co-opted by some other people that I follow, is that this city really is built to just move people efficiently from one big space to another with as easily as possible. Mm. which is something that I really, really appreciate as a business commuter. Um, Yeah, my GT World Challenge America commitments are over by the time you listen to this. Uh, Thank you to all of the teams and drivers that I spoke with over this past season. Thank you to SR America Press Officer Dean Case for guiding me along what was a very rough journey. Uh, Thank you to all the hospitality and all the events that I traveled to. It's very much appreciated. I got a lot of good memories looking back on this. So now I'm ready to settle in and sheesh, there was a lot that happened. Like, we're glad we can have some humor at the maybe at the expense of Red Bull because we got real lucky that mm. we didn't have something real bad happen. Yeah, it's the it's the fortune of knowing that we're okay and that things could have been a whole lot worse. Um, 
this is uh, this is going to be a wild episode. Ups, downs, emotions, you name it. Because so much. I mean, it's been nine days since we last sat down to record a Formula One episode, and in those nine days since Singapore, a lot has gone down, uh, to say the least. First and foremost, we have a, a retained world champion. Max Verstappen is a two-time Formula One world champion. And I'm not going to borrow that NASCAR line about Regan Smith that this time he gets to keep it, etc. Um, that's a no. NASCAR joke for you Americans out there. You see, I'm learning. I'm learning. No, but in this case, he didn't even know that he got it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This was wild. If, if, uh, Racing redemption at his hands. The wheel for Max Verstappen is still and perfect, and he has done it. Uh, oh, yeah. But we, not that we knew it at the time. We'll get into the confusing reasons as to why we were kind of denied a proper championship coronation. Bad luck, David Croft. Anyway, we'll also get into the main subject of, of what we're probably going to talk about and what you've probably talked about in Formula One's landscape over the last, well, 12 hours before the cost cap details came through. And that was a horrifying early incident regarding barely any visibility, a very wet Suzuka, and what the fuck is a tractor doing on a live track with a marshal next to it and cars going through at speed? It's as bad as it sounds, and we got very lucky that that was as bad as it got. We'll talk about that and, and how we got to that point. We'll talk about Monday's startling, well, not really, if you believe, if you read the hyphen, the startling revelation that, yes, they were half right on the rumor. Red Bull did indeed go over the cost cap. And, uh, well, now we're going to have to sit there and figure out how do we punish them and not piss off every single Twitter user in existence. We'll figure that out in a bit. Um, and we will talk about some silly season updates because we had two more seats confirmed at, and I'll check in my notes here, 2 a.m. on Saturday morning UK time, as you do. Um, Pierre Gasly going going, going to, to Le Blues um, in an all-French lineup for 2023. And hang on a minute. Did Nick DeFries just cash in his money in the bank briefcase? Oh, let's stay! <laughs> <laughs> Who needs Liam Lawson when you have Nick DeFries? We'll talk all about that and much more over the next probably hour or so. We're in for a long one. But um, yeah, let's get into it. But place for first, you can find this um, on certain places or at youtube.com forward slash motorsport101. If you've got the email about the at function coming to YouTube soon, we're going to keep it exactly how it is. So at Motorsport101 on YouTube, uh, facebook.com forward slash Motorsport101, Twitter at Motorsport underscore 101. If you'd like to follow your personal handles, you can at Harrison101HD, RJ O'Connell, and at C Buckley 917 If you want some updates on our content going live and some sneak previews of having to click them, you can go on our Instagram page, Motorsport101pod on there. You can check that out over on that. Um, also, our website, motorsport101.com, where you've got written reviews of all of our content, as well as all of our podcast episodes and videos we've made as well, including extra thoughts from yours truly on that Japanese shit show. Um, so all of that on there as well. And if you really, really like us, you can back us financially um, <laughs> on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash 
uh, Motorsport 101. Five bucks gets you early access to all the episodes that we record before they go out to the public. Ten gets you into our the supporters general of our Discord server where you can listen to these episodes live as they're being recorded, including Jason, who's in the audience right now, who's made the point to tell us in big capital letters, Nicholas Latifi got points. Nicholas Latifi finished ninth. Yeah! yeah! Let's fucking go! Um, yeah, that, that was a thing that happened. Um, play the Nicholas Latifi P9 video. Which one? Saw. You know the one. <laughs> no, Again. I mean, there's there's like multiple songs that have been used for like di- different ones of those Latifi memes, as I've come to find out. It's weird. I, I will, in the time it takes for post-production to happen, I will figure out which one is in P9 and I'm going to use it as the transition into talking about the Japanese Grand Prix. Ohio gozaimasu. And welcome to the Coronation of Max Verstappen, two-time Formula One world champion. This was inevitable, but uh, Max Verstappen just became only the third man in history to win 12 races in a season. He's absolutely just... Well, wait, I'm going through your notes. So Max Verstappen (laughs) went on and dominated the Japanese Grand Prix that was range-shortened. They only ran for about 40 minutes. He won by 27 seconds. But (laughs) with Charles Leclerc, taking on a late penalty for leaving the track and gaining an advantage and confusion over the scoring for the race because full points were awarded, Verstappen did enough to win his second world championship. Uh, there is an interesting quirk in this uh, these new regulations that if they don't complete like a set amount of distance but they still made an effort to finish the race to the best of their ability, mm. then you still get full points. Is that right, Dre? Um, basically, and I give credit to our old friend Stuart over at Chamber. Subscribe to him. He doesn't need, like, not like he needs to help or anything, but sub to, to Stu because we like him here. Um, basically, long story short, they added this, they amended this rule after Belgium last year, where obviously we had a essentially four-lap Grand Prix constitute half points, which everybody disliked, nobody liked it, um, and they caused an amendment to the rules that led to this situation. Now, long story short, what we thought was going to happen here was that because we had to... We were, we were up against the three-hour event time limit because the race started, it was red-flagged on the opening lap, um, and if, and then afterwards, the rain got so heavy that they couldn't restart for about an hour and 45 minutes, something along those lines. So as you, as RJ alluded to earlier, we had basically a 40-minute Grand Prix, and the zero on that countdown was towards the three-hour event time limit because the race technically did start. Now, because of this situation the amount of points that were going to be handed out was totally dependent on how much of the race we got under green. So because we got at least two laps under green, it starts a counter towards how much of the race gets done and how much points got handed out. If it's between two laps and 25%, it's six points for the winner 
seven points down to fifth. I believe it goes up to 13, 50% race distance. I'm sorry, sorry, between 25 and 50%, in which case I think it was 14 laps because it was 25% of a 53-lap Grand Prix. Um, But we actually got 28 laps in under green, um, which means we actually got to the next threshold, which, well, so we thought, uh, we were going to be getting basically three-quarter points because we did at least 50% distance where Verstappen was meant to get 19 for the win. Um, and I think it was going to be 14 for the clerk at who crossed the line in second um, and then points down to ninth. But because the race finished under a checkered flag, <laughs> it means that the FIA was going to award full points. And then once you factor in the five second time penalty that Charles Leclerc got, for leaving the track gaining an advantage in a defense against Sergio Perez on the final lap of the race, um, which shouldn't have been because apparently they pull out the checkered flag early. <laughs> they were one lap to, uh, they, they, they did one lap less, which apparently for everybody else, which is even funnier when you think about it. They actually gave full points. Leclerc finished third, and that was the magical eight point difference that allowed Verstappen to win the championship um, just about with four rounds to spare because he had a 114-point lead with only 112 available because I think that's 34 for Brazil because they've got a sprint race that weekend. That's yep, another additional eight. eight available in the sprint, which, of course, I mean, you would have thought that, uh, you know, everyone would have taken these rules into consideration, especially given it's in the first sentence of this new ruling created mm. in the aftermath of Spa. No. Neither the drivers nor the teams, nor seemingly Formula One management seemed to actually read this rule. The only ones who did were the FIA. No one had a clue. Um, and to be fair, as, as Cam alluded to, at multiple points during the broadcast, they were showing the different point tables and different simulations of points as the race went on. Like, at one point, the timing tower put up full points, even though we were pretty sure it was going to be 50%. And then ended up being 75 because of the race pace obviously got quicker over the course of the 40 minutes. And then it ended up being basically three quarter points. And then all of a sudden, like, I, I mentioned it in my notes. The person that was most on the ball here was Johnny Herbert, which if Johnny Herbert is leading the crusade, something has gone this very is the first wrong. first time since the 1991 24 Hours of Lamar. <laughs> If Johnny Herbert's the man with the finger most on the pulse, I think something has gone badly wrong. I remember Chris Medland on Twitter at the time was like, Johnny, don't you do it. (laughs) (laughs) Because at that point, we were adamant that we all thought Max was one point short of clinching it. And my maths was right. I thought he was one point short as well. But as mentioned, nobody read that first part of the regulations that, hey, because we got to finish, un- we got because the race technically finished under a checkered flag, it's full points, even though we only had 53% of the race actually completed. This sounds like, it feels like at Belgium, right? This was in place because we never thought we would be in a situation where right. they would just run two laps under safety car and call that a Grand Prix. Mm. This once again feels like there is a yawning chasm of a loophole that that made this possible. Yeah, I mean, 
Stu roasted this rule change on his YouTube channel. I'm not as massively against it as him. I mean, somebody said, well, in theory, if you if you run a race with five minutes towards the end of event clock and it finishes under a checkered flag, you can give full points. My response to that That's was, house. Like, you could do that, but it would take a monumentally fucking stupid race director for us to ever to get to that point, I think. I think at some now, why point... Why would Michael Massey do this? Remember, we fit stewarded. Um, so sorry, can't joke about directions. that. <laughs> Clearly, um, um, it, it, it's a rule that makes perfect sense when you actually read it. The problem is that no one actually did. Um, and, and to that effect, I do think that they will go in and adjust this rule to get rid of that possibility going mm. forward. Mm. But what we saw on Sunday again was pretty much a an honest act of god with some yeah. of the weather that was coming down i mean <sighs> to that effect i think we'll we'll get to that more in the next section mm. thanks for stopping man just won a 40 minute timed race by 27 seconds <laughs> if you want a, a microcosm of everything the red bull is versus the ferrari there's a picture circulating the socials of the tires on the front of Leclerc's car versus the tires of Max's car. And that right there is the entire 2022 season in a nutshell. Because podcasting is a visual medium, Verstappen's tires look great. They look like they've got about 20 more laps on them. Leclerc, he has turned his intermediate Slicked tires into slicks. Yeah. yeah. And you know what's funny? I think it was Max Verstappen's own manager that, in a sense, complimented Charles Leclerc um, in an interview afterwards where he said, look, I, un I get it now. I get why Carlos Sainz and Charles Leclerc have made mistakes this season because if they have to overdrive this car's flaws to get any kind of result, <laughs> then I could see and understand their struggles. And he, he, was, he was the first guy to say, look, no, if Charles has a good car, he's a future world champion. Yeah. Um, it was very complimentary of you know the, their drivers. You know, Sainz well, well, and Leclerc. Look, that, that's what it comes down to is that if you, you know, it's the same as it was in 2018 and 2017 yeah. and a few times in the early 2010s. Mm -hmm. Drivers having to overdrive their Ferraris because Ferrari doesn't do enough of the job for them. They yeah. are a incompetent, clownish team that is incapable of challenging for a world championship. Mm -hmm. And once again, they got curb stomped to this title. Having started the year and spent the first half of the year with a car that was at least faster on paper and faster over a lap. I would say until the summer break, they probably had the better car on paper. Mm. Faster over a lap. I would, and Red Bull's fixed a lot of what's wrong with their car via just taking weight out of it. Mm. They're undefeated since Hungary. Yeah. So what, six on the bounce as a team? Uh, seven. Seven, yeah. Seven on the seven bounce. Because, seven because France won and France... That's yeah. one in France. Yeah, I uh, think the he's last won six time... of the last seven. He's won yeah. twelve in a season, as mentioned. Yeah. That's that's rare. I know calendars are bigger now, but that's not nothing. There's only yeah. two other guys that did that. Sebastian Vettel and Michael Schumacher. Driver yeah. of the day, Sebastian Vettel in his Suzuka Swan song. Sebastian Vettel put that fucking thing in Q3. Oh, on pace alone. <laughs> And then finished sixth in the race, 
holding off Fernando Alonso in a faster car by 11 thousandths of a second over the line. Alonso, had, who just straight up cut the Casio triangle to get alongside him. Yeah, I, I did notice that. Didn't even take that. the corner. Such shithousery, honestly. <laughs> At this point, I almost respect the wily old man game of Fernando. It's like it's like Udonis Haslam for the Miami Heat. He's just, he just he knows every old man trick in the book to draw a foul in a playoff situation. That's exactly what Fernando Alonso is at this point, and I have to respect it. He's the all timer <laughs> at the pickup basketball game. He's oh, yeah. all effort, and he is the dirtiest player on the floor. Yeah, he will. He will. He will kick you in the nuts. He will elbow what, you. In what the are you face. gonna do? What are you gonna do? Take take my position away? Yeah, yeah. That's not a foul. It's, 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 hand checking's legal. Um, no, it's it's incredible. Um, I mean, yeah, as mentioned, only three men in history have won twelve races in a season, and we still have four to go. Max has still got a good chance of breaking the all-time single-season win record. He now has as many wins in F1 as Fernando Alonso with thirty-two. He's he almost he has, has Alonso's career at and he's twenty-five. Only 25. He's only 25 years old. He's almost says the next one will match his car number. Yeah. And it would put him into the top five on the all time wins list at 25. Mm. I know. Look, I, I did the maths on this when Verstappen got to 25 wins. Like, Verstappen's kind of like a cultural in between because Hamilton debuted in 08 and obviously Verstappen debuted in 15. Like, the average F1 season is about two and a half rounds longer than what it was back then. But even so, that's a remarkable season by any measure, by any expectation. That's incredible. I'm um, just glad that Honda busted out their stickers for Honda, this occasion. You know, it was such a monumentally stupid decision in the first place to try and fail for so many years then architect the best power unit in F1, and I will stand by that statement given just the funny straight-line speeds that Red Bull's produced this year, even, yeah. even factoring in how low-drag their car is. That yeah. to, to pull that program out of Formula One... Sure, they did. <laughs> well, well, the, the CEO that made that final decision has been gone since April of last year. And it's funny how pretty much every decision since then has been expressing regret about leaving. And then not actually leaving, but handing over all of the credit, save for a tiny HRC sticker. And an HFDP sticker, let's not forget. On a couple of the cars. Yeah. And I, now, I... <laughs> for their home event, and we will open up on that in just a moment. They're back. They put their stickers back on the car. First Honda branded win in Japan since geez, 1991. Wow. Uh, awesome. With a, McC <laughs> a Mick Honda 1-2. Gerhard Berger actually won that race. I, st I still waits the days of MotoGP coverage on Eurosport with Julian Ryder turning to camera and saying they don't call it the Honda Motor Company for nothing. Uh, and uh, a grin hit my face when I saw the, the, uh, the, the winning badge over the line there. Good for them, you silly, silly Hondas. Speaking of which, let's get into, let's be honest, the real reason why you're here. Now, 
we were very fortunate to be able to talk about this race as something other than one of the most tragic moments in the sport's history. This race was marred with a serious near miss. Starting under heavy rainfall, Carlos Sainz spun into the outside wall from 300R to Spoon, damaging the barrier and putting debris, I believe it was the advertising board, onto the track. The recovery truck was on the track as the pack was still bunching up behind the safety car, with the red only coming out seconds before Gasly passed the crane. Thankfully, no one hit the crane, no one was hurt, but with extremely limited visibility and rash actions from race control, the drivers were pissed. Here's a smorgasbord of some of their quotes. How can we make it clear that we never want to see a crane on track? We lost jewels because of that mistake. What happened today is totally unacceptable. I hope this is the last time ever I see a crane on track. That was Sergio Perez. Described it as one of the lowest moments he'd been on an F1 track in years. Said on Twitter, Lando Norris, what the fuck? How's this happened? We lost a life in this situation years ago. We risk our lives, especially in conditions like this. We want a race, but this? Unacceptable. One half of the driver reps of the GDPA, Sebastian Vettel, said, it's just not acceptable. We spoke about this also in the driver's briefing. The service car should never be on the road when we are out in these conditions, not even when there's a safety car. I think we might just understand that today was one of those odd days where things could have gone wrong, and then somebody might pay the price. A marshal is a volunteer here to help and do a great job, or a driver in the car. Even the slightest injuries are unnecessary. But we had a very traumatic scene eight years ago, so it was way too close to repeating itself today. The FIA has since announced that it will conduct a full investigation into why there was a recovery vehicle on track in those conditions. Let's talk about it. And again, I just want to say before we get started, you may find this discussion upsetting. Again, I will put a timestamp in the description if you want to skip this. Completely understandable. Look after yourselves. So this, so every Formula One race is somebody's first. So for context, Jules Bianchi, Ferrari Driver Academy member, then a driver of the Mauritia F1 team, had actually signed a deal agreeing to join Sauber for the 2015 season. Uh, has a crash at Dunlop Corner during the 2014 Japanese Grand Prix, he loses control of his vehicle and slams into a heavy recovery vehicle, inflicting severe hand injuries, which he would never pull up out of. He passed away in July of the following year. Um, that was that was an awful moment, and I can remember where I was because I was staying up late watching the race to begin with thinking that mm. we're not going to have a race and then we are going to have a race and then at the time the attitude of the sport is like formula one's afraid to race in the rain and i'm like well we're getting a race and i hope this is what everybody wanted i hope that driving through all this was worth it to prove a point that you know the sport is not afraid to race in the rain it was a bad it was a bad thing to have to relive and it was especially disturbing when i woke up saturday after a very busy day i wake up sunday morning and i hear 
we came close to having something similar happen. Uh, I mean, it's already bad enough when when Carlos Sainz's car is just stranded out in the middle of the road, there's debris on the track and everybody doesn't really have time to react. So they're passing by at speed, a very thin part of this track. On the left-hand side of 300R, there's not much runoff room at all. At all, until you get no. to about Spoon Corner. So that in itself could have been bad enough with the spray and the poor visibility. There could have been a chain reaction where Carlos Sainz's car could have been sit there and he could have taken a secondary impact from another driver who just doesn't see him. And then we have the instance of a crane on track and... I and Pierre Gasly driving by uh, at, at very. I mean, ultimately, it's it's irrelevant. Everybody got through it okay. I don't want the less. I don't want the uh, the prevailing lesson to come out of this is that well, Pierre should have just slowed down more. And, and you're right, he did clock over 250 kilometers per hour in a red flag zone after he passed. These, the these things are not mutually exclusive, right? The thing is that. Yes, Gasly, traveling at the rate of speed he did in those conditions with the track effectively ruled dead under the red is really not acceptable. However, the FIA, or rather the marshals in this instance, Mm -hmm. put him in a position, put him and everyone on that racetrack in a position of something horrible potentially happening do you now understand why people were asking for a red flag at the italian grand prix for reasons other than it would have just given lewis hamilton an opportunity for victory sometimes Mm. it just it just wasn't about like making sure lewis hamilton has a chance to sneak at a victory that he doesn't deserve sometimes people are just worried that like something like this could happen again and it almost did Mm. look i am I am still of the belief that you can have a recovery vehicle on track in the dry with full visibility. Like, that I can live with. But there are so many ways this could have been done better. Like, you knew the driver was okay because it was on the radio. Signs had already gone out of the car. There is no rush to get a recovery vehicle out there on track as long as you've got a slow zone and a safety car deployed, right? Mm -hmm. You know, the teams can tell the drivers where the incident is. Back the wagon up, get everybody out there, behind the snake, and then you can make a decision whether you need to stop this race or not. And if, if anything, that should probably be the first question that's asked. And given there was advertising the boards on the track, it probably should have been red flagged straight away. I say, Gasly hit one and actually destroyed his front wing and was carrying around some very new age Rolex advertising on the front of his car. Mm, mm. No, there's, there's a plug for you. But like that should be the first question asked. And like, is this a red flag situation? And I'd argue it probably was in this instance. But... There are so many, like there are so many little things that could have made this avoidable. And I think Cam was not in front of our computer when we talked about this race afterwards on Discord during this bit. But we had 
our friend and yours, Ryan Eric King, he had the report from the 2014 incident with Jules. And there were so many similarities in this report from 2014 compared to 2022. It's chilling. Mentioning the weather and the fact we still race in Japan in October, typhoon season. At the behest of the promoters of this event. Yeah. Honda. Honda doesn't want to run this race during Golden Week because apparently... According to Andrew Benson, who, you know, is a good, trusted name in this space, bit anti-Vettel, but we'll, we'll allow it. He said during the race that apparently, ever since Liberty Media bought this sport out, they've been at loggerheads with Honda to get this Grand Prix moved to April, which makes a lot of sense given there's a lot of early flyaways. It's close to Australia. It's much, it's much closer than... Going to a yeah. European race. I mean, it, it's it's a tough fit to try and fit it into March and April now that suddenly everybody is an expert on uh, the environmental impact of air freight. Yeah, you know, it's uh, it's not ideal. I but, mean, you could um, stick it back. I mean, the other thing that uh, that one of our uh, one of our other friends of the show, Yen Sabata, who you may know for his coverage of Japanese motorsport, sometime motorsport TV. Uh, commentator also said that like they also don't want to stack this on top of the biggest holiday week of the season. Yeah, Golden Week. Well, um, do they want to lose the race entirely? Because there was a point during Sunday where we thought we weren't going to get a race in because the weather conditions just were consistently, you know, pouring rain. And because we didn't have the cars out on track, I'm not of the opinion that the track was unraceable to start with. But I mean, it really depends on how much faith you have in these Pirelli heavy wet tires, which it's amazing to that effect. You send them out, you send them out for four or five laps under safety car and clear some standing water. So your visibility is higher than nothing. Right. And then you can do your standing start. And then we probably would have gotten the race in, you know, pretty much the whole distance we wouldn't have even needed the nonsense that happened with uh verstappen leclerc and perez but they didn't do that visibility was extremely poor to start the race Mm -hmm. and even beyond the the crane you had a marshal standing out in front of signs's car in zero visibility with cars feet away from him terrifying the fact that we had onboard cameras and you could barely see the tractor is terrifying. Another point that Chain Bear made that I want to echo here, there is zero reason why we couldn't have the same rain lights that Formula One cars have on these recovery vehicles. If you're going to have them on track during a safety car to pick up a vehicle in wet weather, there is no reason why they can't have those lights on them. You're the None. pinnacle of motorsport. But, this should be easy. But... The current structure of the race officiating rules, you know, our favorite topic here at Motorsport 101. Oh, we love it. Prevent that because, as I talked about with King during the event, the FIA only has power over two vehicles on track. The medical car and the safety car. Everything else is up to the promoter of the event. Again, Honda, who, let's not forget, have a a toe in the water and some stickers in Formula One right now. Mm-hmm. Because they can't decide whether their house is in order or not. Um, 
this has been at this track. It has been a consistent thing in all of Japanese motorsport. This is consistent behavior and it's unacceptable behavior. Just we could have had someone killed. Yeah. We, we, were talk, we were talking feet here. We're talking feet. A handful. And, of and them. I do not care whether the track was technically red when Gasly went by. In that kind of visibility, that kind of proximity to the racing surface, there should never be a recovery vehicle, any heavy equipment on the racing surface. Not while cars are still circulating. Right. And shame on Sky Sports for trying to both sides the situation. Karun there was Chan-Hawk no both sides no. to that. Yeah, Karun Chanhok's better than this. And I actually quite like him as a pundit overall. He, and he, you could see by halfway through, he was walking it back because he knew he fucked up. And Gasly speeding happened after he'd passed the tractor, for what it's worth. Um, of course, still an, un, an unacceptable thing to do on a red flagged track to go at 155 miles an hour. But as Cam said earlier, they are two completely separate issues. These are not mutually exclusive. And the fact that the FIA and some of those pundits then tried to make the make the situation about Gasly and Gasly speeding. When again, separate incident. It would be like, okay, in the National Football League, Miami Dolphins quarterback to attack of Iloa took an ugly, ugly hit and a severe concussion that put him in the fencing position. After he was after everybody with any sort of brain, any sort of like thought who saw the previous game they played knew that he took a hit in the previous game and had concussion like symptoms. Somehow they sent him out to play the following game and it ended. It could have ended much worse than it actually did. But the prevailing theory that from this was not well. To attack of Iloa should not have been out there playing with concussion-like syndrome, why should the NFL and the Miami Dolphins be held accountable for this? The takeaway was the NFL and the Miami Dolphins should be held accountable for making this happen in the first place. In a year where everyone's favorite hobby around Formula One is shitting on the FIA's decision-making, why are we trying to both sides this? So they don't want so, they, so Sky as a broadcaster don't get accused of being biased or they don't step on their audience's toes. Which is just disingenuous. I think it's a very modern day media thing where people feel like they have to do these things for balance. And I'm sorry, in clear cut cases like this one, you owe it to your audience to be accurate. This was not that at all. I expect better from the broadcasters of not just Britain's coverage, but also the world feed in general that we use. That a lot of their footage is used in the promotion of this sport. They're the world feed commentary stream, for example. Yeah. You know, that we expect better than this, quite frankly. Um all of this was just unacceptable. Completely. All of, the, all of this was entirely and avoidable. avoidable. Yeah. Mm. It was avoidable eight years ago when I lost one of my favorite drivers. And I hope nobody has to experience that feeling for a long, 
long, long time. Yeah. Just taking unnecessary risk. I mean, I said marshals are local and follow guidelines set by the track promoters. FIA. Tell Honda to get their house in order regarding the marshals, regarding the general officiating of the Japanese Grand Prix, and move the race out of October, or they can lose this race. Because I'm the biggest Suzuka fanboy in the world. It is my favorite track to drive. It's my favorite track to watch. It's not worth losing one of these guys over. No, not in the slightest. This was completely unacceptable on many, many levels. And I hope that the investigation that the FIA carries out into this incident reminds them of what they said in 2014. There is no safe way for an F1 car to crash into a recovery vehicle. What you need to do as a sport is to take whatever steps necessary to make sure that what happened with Jules in 2014 never, ever happens again. It's as simple as that. Do what you need to do to make sure this never happens. Point blank. Because this was terrifyingly close. Too close. And we're glad that everybody got home okay. But it's a lot of the same mistakes that we saw with Jules in 2014 that's gotten us to this point eight years later, and it feels like this sport has learnt nothing since then. The FIA, for many reasons, which we'll get to briefly, including stuff we've already mentioned, has already lost the trust of the of a vast majority of its audience that watches this sport. It needs to be bending over backwards to make things right. And this is another notch on their horrible bedpost of shitty behavior. They have to do better. They just have to. End the discussion. Speaking of which, more Red Bull. Ah, it's like the first the 18 thing that, ounce here. Oh yeah, I got I got the 24. Uh, I, I needed a I needed the extra large version. Um, are you sure that's Are you sure we can afford that? Um, well, got, it's too late now. I, we already bought it. I mean, I've drank half of it. And but now don't I can worry colors. that with that that if you use Cash App, we can actually split the cost together with as easy uh, uh, just a few simple steps. So we finally got that uh, certification for the 2021 cost cap. Uh, good news, Aston Martin fans, you did not breach this cost cap. Yeah, added paperwork. You're just bad at paperwork. Red Bull uh, were clapped for a, quote, minor breach within 5% of the total cap. Uh, now the range of penalties could range from a formal reprimand to wind tunnel access being reduced to even point deductions from the 2021 Formula One World Championships. And the pre- and the prevailing theory, at least it's is it a theory or did we confirm that all of this was down to a, a combination of paid leave and overspending on catering? I believe so. That oh seems to be the prevalent discussion and rumors regarding this, that it was sick leave and catering costs. That Red Bull are apparently adamant that they think that this has been a misunderstanding 
and that maybe something that they didn't consider has been taken as a cost when it look sick leave and catering that's two of my favorite things in the workplace environment <laughs> yeah uh, this is red bull statement quote we note the findings by the fia of minor overspend breaches of the financial regulations of surprise and disappointment our 2021 submission was below the cost cap limit so we need to carefully review the fia's findings as our belief remains that the relevant costs and that's the key word here relevant costs are under the 2021 cost cap amount. Despite the conjecture and positioning of others, there is, of course, a process under the regulations with the FIA, which we will respectfully follow while we consider all the options available to us. Okay, you're the FIA. You get to be judge, jury, and executioner. What do we reckon here? Lifetime bans for everybody. Take away every single one of Red Bull Racing's achievements for 2005 forward. I'm just kidding. But I do find it hilarious that these findings and the nature of how they happened came to light on the week that Cash App released a new commercial centering around Sergio Perez <laughs> going out to dinner with his Red Bull crew members. They knew. They had receipts. He had a schedule promoted tweet that he had to delete because <laughs> Come on, King, leave it up. There is Oh my god. There is a you lesson can't... to be there is a lesson to be learned here, social media admins. Always check the scheduled tweets. <laughs> Can I say this is the funniest outcome of this? Oh yeah. Okay, I, I thought the funniest outcome could be like, oh, someone we had no idea wasn't in the running was going to breach the cost cap. Or there was going to be nothing. It was all a bunch of conjecture. This is funnier. Oh, yeah. Red Bull Racing broke the Formula One regulations because someone wanted extra dip with that number six. Oh, yeah. Red Bull Racing broke the Formula One regulations because they spent $26,000 worth of sides. <laughs> oh so they go to five guys frequently oh god not not, not five guys that, that that's like a we have it in the uk now it's like a mortgage payment to buy it's, it's good though those it's, those fries hit different thanks oh, those, trust those cajun fries oh my lord max oh. got a large cajun fries and that tipped him over the budget cap <laughs> yeah yeah clearly uh, you know, yeah he, he but, got that he got a strawberry milkshake too yeah, Yuki, like, Yuki Sonoda at, asking for uh, for a double order of uh, pork cutlet in his uh, order of Coco Ichibanya. Oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> the bad news is those Cajun fries cost £560,000. The good news is he got three bags worth, enough to feed his entire family for at least a month. Yeah, five guys uh, in the stiff <laughs> on the proportions, like a small is like everybody else's large. What oh, do we yeah. talk about, right? Oh, yeah, fast food. No, Formula One. Yeah, uh, <laughs> me, 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 the medium tires or medium stakes. Mm, mm, <laughs> mm, yeah, I delicious. mean, again, we talked about this during Singapore when Cam wasn't around, and uh, I echo what I basically said a week and a half ago. The FIA is got to be extremely careful in how it disciplines Red Bull here. If mm -hmm. this and this holds up, I mean, obviously there, there could be a dispute. This is the first year this rule's been in place. There could be some sort of compromise. It wouldn't be the first time the FIA has has had a handshake deal with a team to mitigate some potential breach. Mm. Um, we have <clears throat> Ferrari. <clears throat> um, 
So we don't know whether this will hold up in the long run. I said it looks like a red like Red Bull can't appeal this for what it's worth, but we'll have to wait and see uh, how this holds up. I mean, they're, alleged- in, they're in dialogue with the FIA, so yeah, we'll, we'll see to- basically what each party says because how it sounds here is that catering jokes aside, yeah. Sorry, just I've had a visit from Nigel. Um, <laughs> Nigel wants to know what you've been doing with those funds. Um, <laughs> I, I've been hoarding stacks upon stacks of Five Guys burgers and fries. Uh, this is not an endorsement on the podcast, although we do find it delicious. A lot of this seems to have been actually like paid leave for staff that they didn't include in the reporting of the budget that the FIA then found that they should have reported in the budget. Hmm. Uh, so allegedly we're talking about one to 2 million over apparently yeah, under, under 1% of the cost cap pro- uh, over probably. Mm. Mm. And that gives us, well, this is an unprecedented situation because it's a brand new rule that came in last year. And it's more or less at the FIA's discretion. Could they Uh penalize them on points? Maybe. Could they penalize them on wind tunnel time? Maybe. Could they take this amount that they went over, double it and lop it off their budget for a future year? Maybe. That's what's a possibility. There is a possibility. I did double check this. Apparently, if they do get a financial penalty, it will go out of that year's cap. That's kind of what I figured. Yeah. I I, I stick with what I said last time we discussed this, that... I don't know, and at this stage, it's okay not to know how they're going to come down about this. Um, I know that, like, there are obviously, like, two groups of people that hope they throw the hammer down hard. Mm. One is um, one is the, the chronic rule sticklers who, you know, you break a rule regardless of who you are, and there's zero tolerance, and you should be punished with the fullest extent of the law. And then you have... I guess you have the crazies that we just can't stop talking about the 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 ultras who are devoted to the destruction of everything about Matt Verstappen and Red Bull's reputation. I, I think those are the two sides who are clearly pulling for the harshest penalties possible out of well, this outcome. Well, maybe Red Bull can take a slice of that catering budget and give it to those guys so they can feed their kids. <laughs> Folks, you can reach us at cbuckley917. <laughs> Good luck with that, buddy. Um, well, uh, Press for the it, admin. It, it, it is my favorite running joke here because, look, I, 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 the best part about it is that no one was expecting. We thought, they're oh, they're putting this towards car budget. They're putting this towards, you know, running of the team. No, they, they went over on budget because Sergio Perez wanted extra berries in his cereal. Yeah, it's this whole thing sounds silly, but the jokes will end as soon as this punishment becomes official. And yeah, as mentioned, the harshest they can go is points deductions from last season. And that's drivers or constructors. I have a um, feeling when I'm in Circuit of the Americas next weekend for racefans.net duties, um, that I'm not going to, we're not going to have heard the last of this, regardless of whether they put a rolling down. 
because again, it is Mattia Bonato and Total Wolf and everybody else's best interest to say, regardless of what the ruling is against Red Bull, that it's not harsh enough. I think Ferrari has their own issues in their own house to get over. Yeah, yeah like I, this, this is going to be a situation where, and honestly, people of Twitter, be more honest. Just say you want Hamilton to win that eighth title. Go on. Say it with your full you, chest. You don't give a shit about the rules. Not I really. Want Lewis Ham- I want Lewis Hamilton to win an eighth title, but I don't want him to do it like this. Like, it's okay. I understand. I mean, like I said, I said it last week. I'll say it again here. They have to set a damning enough precedent that that will discourage teams from even thinking about going over. Because if the penalty is too lenient, trust me, teams will start exploiting this cap oh, yeah. when it, it when it only they will gets treat smaller it as a next luxury year. tax. Yeah, they will treat it as an NBA style luxury tax. And you don't want that either. I mean, look. This rule is already janky because it only it only exempts your three biggest salaries. It doesn't include driver pay directly. It doesn't include power unit development. It's already a janky rule as it is. Like if you set a too cheap precedent on this, you will have teams happily break this cap over its knee like Bane and Batman if this penalty is too lenient. So you've got to put in a strong enough deterrent to make this happen as a one-shot deal. I don't know. When- unfortunately <laughs> for the antis and also the other uh, like super hardcore rule sticklers who couldn't give a shit about the antis or whatever, you know, to them, nothing less than a double disqualification would be good enough. I mean, I don't give a. I don't really care either way about that. You know, I think it's. I have no skin in this game. I, I, I just don't. I'll be. I just. I'll be honest. I don't know where the line is on something like this. I don't know what's a strong enough penalty to put teams off from breaking this. Because have we seen? I said on Twitter a couple of days ago. How far would a team go to win a championship outright if they knew there was no chance of breaking the cap would get their title overturned? We saw. When Racing Point got hit with a 15-point penalty for the Brake Ducks in 2020, that cost them third in the, in the Constructors' Championship. That took tens of millions of dollars off their plate. So, And yet it can- still worked out for them because in creating a W10 copy, they got the highest position in the Constructors that they've gotten in a long time. And yep. they cash it out to become a full factory team, continuing that same level of success at... Oh. Yeah. So... I don't know where that line is. And if you do, then good luck to you because I do not know where I stand on something like this. Is that okay to say? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know I, I yet. Think, I think we need to be more comfortable as a as a fandom in saying, I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to be able to be like a journalist partially covering this series. And sometimes I don't know things and that's okay. Right. Yep, and that's okay. Right. So, um, so we have precedent now for uh, for NFL insider Adam Schefter to be a full t- to be a Formula One newsbreaker because Fabrizio Romano, the Adam Schefter of Association Football, broke <laughs> the news that Pierre Gasly is heading from Alpine to AlphaTauri, and that Alpine was going to plug in Nick DeVries, famous for his Monza stand performance, Williams. Uh, into the vacant AlphaTauri seat alongside Yuki Tsunoda, buried lead Yuki Tsunoda because it was also extended. 
the Netherlands will have two world champions on the Formula One grid next year. Um, got a lot to catch up on. Um, some takeaways. Trey, I'll start with you. Um, first and foremost, pretty clever move from Alpine. Very different sort of social media move to get Fabrizio Romano to uh, to announce that. I thought it was quite clever. I didn't like the fact that Alpine replied to the tweet a bit too quickly to give the game away a bit too soon. Like, is this real? Because people forget, Fabrizio Romano has 12.2 million Twitter followers. 12.2. Like, that is a terrifying number. He has, like, nearly twice as many Twitter followers as Lewis Hamilton. There's a thought there for you. Um... So that's a huge bit of coverage for the sport that it wasn't normally going to get. So props to Marpine for that. For a yeah, could you clever. imagine if like Ian Rappaport was the one breaking the news that Logan Sargent has got the deal at Williams? Yeah. <laughs> Ken, Ken Rosenthal <laughs> says that Lewis Hamilton's <laughs> stepping away at the end of that season. Right, right. So... No, Sham like, Sharania saying that that, <laughs> that uh, Charles Leclerc is going to leave Ferrari to go drive in NASCAR. Watch bomb Lewis now Hamilton that, to Aston Martin in twenty twenty four. That would be a watch bomb. Oh yeah, no, that's uh, no. First and foremost, clever move. That was good work from Alpine, I must say. Um, and I love that he acknowledged Medden. and was like, "You guys do a great job of F one, by the way." Um, which I was like, "Oh, friends." Journo friends. Um, but yeah, um, like you said, um, if you're Alpine, this was a no-brainer. Like, Pierre Gasly's an exceptional racing driver and was easily the best guy left on the open market. If you can get him and Esteban's okay with it, which apparently they are because they are posed in a f- in for pictures in a fashion that would not look out of place on... Remember the old days of the video YMCA by the village people? <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's fun it's to stay right. at the YMCA. Like, it's like they have their hands on their hips like, like they're about to do the Macarena. It's, uh, young it's, man, young man, put your pride on the shelf. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, if they are really, you know, you know, friendly enough to get along, which I think they are by the, by the video footage of what I saw of the transfer and whatnot. That's a hell of a team, Alpine. Like, for all the embarrassment that Alpine has taken for the Piastri fiasco, the that's fiasco. a decent rebound. If anything, I'd say they probably they have a stronger driver lineup out of it. Um, they, just have to go out, they just have to go outside their own walls to do it. Yeah, maybe so. I mean, look, Alonso's still been really good this year for the most part, um, but... Like I said, I think Gasly is, is probably on that level still. So I think that's a pretty good. I think I think Alpine have had a bit of an embarrassment with how Alonso left that team and how they handled Piastri, but I still think they've ended up with the better situation overall. Yeah, uh, this this leads into some of my takeaways. First, happy the Pierre has something that looks like career mobility again. He's mm. been as solid a lead driver as AlphaTauri could have asked for for all but one half of a season of his Formula One career to date retrospect, we could probably say that he wasn't ready for the Red Bull jump at the time. But this is also someone who demonstrated that he deserves another shot at being with a works team. And as much as I love the constructor base out of Fayenda, they are historically and are still positioned as a passageway and not a final career destination. Mm. So we'll know soon how much Pierre and Esteban really hate each other as much as the gossip suggests, whether it goes down to carding rivalries, stolen girlfriends, all the other rumors I've heard about. You know, we'll, we'll know how much. And honestly, I'm inclined to believe that's not as much as people think. 
Look, Agreed. Nick DeVries maximized his one opportunity to put himself in the shop window, and now he has a chance to clap back at everybody who said he didn't beat anybody when he was F2 champion, and also that he was a fluke champion formerly. Mm. I just hope that Yuki Sonoda can match what the 2021 Formula E world champion brings to the table, because while I'm a fan of his work, and I think this is a really fun team in general, you don't have to be an absurd observer, uh, astute observer of Formula One to know that this is his prove-it deal. He's got one year left, especially with Ayumu Iwasa waiting his wings as a presumptive F2 title favorite for 2023. It's really going to depend on the car that Alpha Tauri produced because, man, they were. Uh, They've been mid this year. They were Whoa. so good the last couple of years. And just what the fuck happened? Like, yeah, lot, I mean, lot, they last were... year, they had a car that was good enough that on a good day was top three in the field. Yeah, they, they could pop up as best of the rest on occasion. Um, this year, I, I mean, Yuki actually had, for, for all the shit we've given Yuki this year, he's actually had a really solid home race. Yeah. And it basically amounted to nothing because Alpha Tari had no speed. <sighs> yeah. There was, just there's nothing. another thing that we didn't talk about is that Daniel Ricardo is another key piece in this silly season. And he went on the record saying recently, quote, the reality is I won't be on the grid next year. So he's implying he'll take a gap year. Now, in this silly season, with all of the stuff that has happened and then reverse course, We'll see how that holds up in a few months, but I can't understand how I feel like, you know, taking a drive at Haas and Williams just to get one more year of experience under your belt, probably beneath him when he could do something else with his time instead. Yeah. Daniel Ricardo to the Palanga 1006. <laughs> I'd like to see it. Look, I... How did Daniel Ricciardo go from driver of the year candidate two years ago to being out of the sport? That is all it takes. It is a like again, like low key as fans. I think we like it this way. We want the twenty best drivers in the world on this grid. We are ruthless when it comes to how we evaluate talent in this sport. Yeah, it's like I said, we hate the way Helmut Marco evaluates talent, and then we just act like Helmut Marco evaluating talent all the time. Pretty much. And I mean, Daniel Ricciardo basically did the Fernando Alonso speed run here, going to McLaren and then out of the sport immediately. Yeah, crazy. And look, I, I still refuse to believe that Ricciardo is suddenly cooked in the space of two years. I just think he needs a change of scenery. But I can also understand, well, what's the point of driving a Haas or a Williams right Daniel now? Daniel Ricciardo... Mean, is perhaps the best example you can have where it's not black and white. A no. driver can outperform. Look, look, by all advanced metrics and Formula One Twitter logic, Daniel Kafiat is better than Max Verstappen. Right. And uh, Ricardo made a move. He did not have confidence in the Honda power unit. He didn't have confidence in a Red Bull that was quickly becoming Max Verstappen's team. Mm. He was really damn good at Renault. Basically forced Hulkenberg out, despite the fact I, th I still think they were more equal than their final results showed. Mm. Destroyed any and all stock that Esteban Ocon had. He just clubbed him in their year together. Mm. 
And since then, Esteban Ocon's more or less gone blow for blow with Fernando Alonso, who's still really highly rated and still driving out of his mind. Yeah, the 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 presumptive feeling was that, well, if Ocon's getting dusted by Ricardo, it gets Alonso, it's a wrap. And then as it turns out, it's not that simple. Nothing's that yeah. simple. It's and not on that the simple. Subject, and on the subject of drivers who people have given up on very, very quickly, Mick Schumacher. Who led this he, race. He led who, this race for like 20 feet. But he crashed in practice. All he does is crash, even though he's breaking even with Kevin Magnuson pretty much every other weekend now lately. He's pretty much been dusting Magnuson for about eight races in a row. Yeah, but he crashes too much. He's he's eleven six up on K Mag head to head in races this year, and K Mag probably never should have gone out of the. Ex- another example, probably never should have left the sport in the first place because yeah. if any, if nothing else, Kevin Magnuson is damn fast. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like there's also the factor that like look. Mick Schumacher is not going to be hot shot up to Ferrari the first opportunity. I think Carlos Sainz put that rumor to rest. I understand that he wants a change of scenery, but at the same time, it does feel wrong that Haas is ready to give up a guy who is starting to get better. I know everybody talks about the fact that when he has an accident, it's usually a big one and it's usually a costly one, right? Whatever. I hate to be at stats, advanced stats guy. Uh, sure. Looking past counterpoint for you. Yeah. Haas have been terrible in the second half of this season. They have been. They've been they, like, like I said, it was they, important they for Haas focused, to maximize their points. They put two years and extensive work with Ferrari into this car to be exactly what they've always been. Mm. First to the first five races, merchants, they have not scored in seven races. They haven't looked like they are going to score in seven races. Definitely not. And to that effect with Mick, they left him out there to rot on wet tires. When the track had already gone to enters two laps prior. Sebastian Vettel jumped all the way up the grid up to P6. And Mick Schumacher eventually dropped out of the points. He was leading, dropped out of the points, was at times four and a half to five seconds slower than everyone around him. And it basically killed his race. It's just like, you're not going to get Daniel Ricciardo. Antonio Giovinazzi makes sense because he's another driver who Antonio Giovinazzi couldn't put away a four million year old Kimi Raikkonen. And and who who you threw out of Ferrari anyway to put in Charles Leclerc. And then what's your other option? Taking on Nico Hulkenberg, who's 36 years old. He's not going to get the career accolade he's been striving for for over a decade out of your machinery at the going weight. And it's, it's I don't even have faith that it's going to happen at this point because I still feel like Schumacher is going to stay on the grid. But just the thought that you're thinking of replacing Mick Schumacher for Nico Hulkenberg, that is like Longest. 99th percentile surrender impendence transaction <laughs> thinking. And if it does happen, all I can say is you better prove me wrong on this by building the best damn Ferrari copy that you can find. They have had this year so far, I'm looking at their results. They had a four race stretch, five race stretch, sorry, of no points from Miami to Canada. And they are currently rolling a seven race stretch of zero points. And the points that they were getting other than Mick in Austria getting P6 and Magnussen P5 in Bahrain, have been minor at best. 
<sighs> you sacrificed all of 2021 and a fair portion of 2020 for this. A mess. This just... team needs a fundamental rethink from top to bottom because they are yeah. going nowhere fast. But I do like the moves that were actually done uh, over this past weekend, though. Yes. I like those. Look, I'm not convinced on Nick the Freeze, but I, I get the logic behind it. But I do think it is also quite funny that Nick the Freeze shithoused one standing performance into a full time job and just completely broke everything we knew about Silly Season. That is quite funny. This uh, is I, one of the silliest seasons I can remember. Yeah, and I thought it was going to be a damp squib back in June. I thought this is going to be one of the quiet ones. All the big seats are tied down. That's what normally sets the concertina, so sets the ball rolling on that. Nope, it's been complete fucking carnage this year. And Dude, Nick DeVries is breaking the F1 internet so much, you'd swear that he was all oiled up showing his cake on the cover of Paper Magazine. <laughs> no, that was just, no, that was just Valtteri Bottas on the front straight during the rain delay. Oh, yeah. If you know, you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely wild stuff. Um, yeah, we will see how the last two seats wrap up um, in, in due course. We probably won't know the Williams until November because Williams, apparently their number one target is just promoting Logan Sargent. We don't know if we'll get his super license points to get the license to get his seat until the final round of their championship, which is in November in Abu Dhabi, the season decider. Um, so we're going to be waiting a while before we get the full 2023 20, grid, but uh, we'll see how Haas plays out. And uh, yeah, don't worry. Gunther Steiner, great team boss, because, you know, he, he swears a lot. We, we love that. We love a good angry boss. You know, Swiss version of Basil Fawlty, which is just fucking weird. Um, but hey, there you go. Formula One is back in a week and a half's time at the Circuit of the Americas in Texas. Say hi to me. I say, don't buy. Yeah, say hi to RJ. Awkward. I like I like talking to people. Just I hate crowds. He's a nice boy. You, you'll you'll like him. Look after him for us. Yeah, yeah, he'll be he'll be fine. He's going to do good things down there because that's what RJ does. Good things. Um, thank you very much for listening to our show this week. We'll be back for MotoGP at Phillip Island. Yes! And it's going to apparently be atrocious weather all weekend. Oh, yeah. It apparently is going to piss down with rain over the course of the weekend. But we're getting Phillip Island back. Mm. Yeah. You know, it's just nice to have Philip Island back for the first time in three years. So we will talk about that. Somewhere Maverick Vinales' eye twitches violently. Oh, yeah. Last time he was down there, he was sideways. Um, he was down. Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, more on that next week. But uh, basically, you can find us one more time. YouTube.com forward slash Motorsport 101. Facebook.com forward slash Motorsport 101. Twitter at Motorsport underscore 101. Personal handles at Harrison101HD, at RJ O'Connell, at cbuckley 917 um, Our Instagram, Motorsport101Pod. Um, website, Motorsport101.com. And our Patreon page, Patreon.com forward slash Motorsport101. Um, yeah, that'll do it. So for me, Dre Harrison, RJ O'Connell, and Cam Buckley, until next time, sayonara. Oh, yeah, see me in a say, y'all. And before we go, we'll mention it more next week. But in the sad world of biking, rest in peace, Victor Steeman, Phil Reed, and Chrissy Rouse. May they ride in peace.